Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We're going to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. I told Lori on the way in this morning, Daniel's got to be one of my favorite scriptures, but then, as she says, you say that about all of them. But Daniel, <laughs> it's true. But Daniel has probably been one of my most inspirational. I would even put it, I would bump even David and Goliath with Daniel because I find it so inspirational, that that book, but particularly the first number of chapters in the book of Daniel. So we're going to go to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to read Daniel chapter 3. Thank you, Pascal, for leading us into the presence of the Lord this morning. Daniel chapter 3, verse 20. We're going to begin at verse 20. If you have your devices, Bibles, invite you to turn to that uh, so that you can mark them up and, and just let this stand as something, uh, just will be something for the days ahead in your life. Chapter 3, verse 20, Nebuchadnezzar commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Now this would have been a pretty, it was potentially going to be a very difficult day for these three guys. Would you agree with me on this one? It wasn't shaping up to be a good day for them. It was a day of crisis. The title of what I want to share today, the theme is bringing Christ into your crisis. So Father, we ask that you would show us what was on your heart when you stirred the heart of Daniel to write this story, when you revealed the details of this, so that years later, 2,500 years later, here we are in Aurora, looking at this text, that Spirit, your message is as relevant today as it was then. Speak to our hearts, we pray, in Jesus' name. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen? God answers those prayers. Bringing Christ into your crisis. Let me set a little bit of the setting regarding the story here. If you go back and you begin to know a little bit behind the scenes, the story around the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Israel had for years been compromising in their faith. Prophet after prophet, as a matter of fact, all the prophets. That was their message. You have compromised. 
You no longer have set God alone as your one true God. You have compromised what he has asked of you. You no longer walk in obedience to him. You have become like every other nation, only you've just tacked Jehovah God on to all the others. You've become like everyone else. No longer are you a separated people. No longer are you chosen people. You've just done what everybody else is doing. And warning after warning, you can't turn away from God and still have the blessings of God. You can't turn away from God and still have the blessings of God. A few weeks ago, we had a theme, and I continue to carry that in my own personal life in Zechariah 1.1. If you return to the Lord, finish it. He will return to you. If you return to Him, if you give Him all your heart, all your love, all your compassion, He'll return to you. There is a condition. There's a condition. Now, guess who draws you to Him in the first place? Him. Guess who has made the way possible? Him. Guess who is the one who has done all the heavy lifting? Him. But it still requires a turning of the heart towards Him. We call it repentance. We call it choosing Him. The people rejected that. And so, according to how God had promised the nation of Israel ceased to exist. They went off the map. Jerusalem was pillaged. It was destroyed. It said the history books said not one stone was left on top of another. If you were to go to Jerusalem today to the, the Wailing Wall, you would see that there's remnants of the things that are taking place, but it was an absolute total destruction. When, when armies came in and destroyed cities, they destroyed everything in it, and they purposely removed everything. I mean, they didn't keep it intact because they knew you would think you're going to come back to it one day. So if they got rid of everything, there's really nothing to come back to, is there? That's the way they fought the battles. Israel was no different than that. They had lost. Judah had been taken captive. And the people had been taken into exile throughout the great empire of Babylon. Now, Babylon was the superpower of the day. It was the superpower. There was no power that could stand against Babylon. And so the far-flung regions of the empire of Babylon, the people were taken into exile, all but for a handful of desolate people were left to look after the crops. Part of the exile was to an area called Adura near Babylon, called the Plains of Dura near Babylon. And this is the beginning of chapter 3, where the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had summoned all the leaders, the governors, princesses, and sheriffs. He summoned them all together from the far-flung regions of his great empire. Imagine the sight. Multitudes of people gathered in the great market squares. They would honor the gods of the king. Now, this was a pluralistic society. They had many gods. But the king saw himself up there among one of them to be a god as well. You continue to read about King Nebuchadnezzar. This was a constant problem he had, thinking he was God. And so, not just the God. He was okay if you worshipped other gods, but you worship him too. Can I just pause for a moment? You see, the enemy of your soul doesn't simply want you to worship something singular. It wants you to simply tack Jehovah God along a number of other things. See, that's okay. If he's not the one and only true God, have other things that are have grabbed the affections of your heart. That's the desire. Same here. So he erected this big statue. It was 90 feet tall. Now, if you ever gone by an apartment, high rise, count up nine floors and then figure that's how big it, I mean, that was pretty big. That's pretty big. That's pretty daunting to put in your public square. 
such a big statute of yourself. I mean, wow, even to think about it. But that's what he did. And he called people together, and it was a decree throughout his great empire, and it was that you would bow down when the music plays, when the band, the orchestra strikes it up, you were to bow down to that image of him, his image. Do so you live, do not do so you died. Three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they heard of it. They heard all the bustlings. They saw this thing erected. But they chose. You see, before they went into exile, they had made a pact. The pact was there is one God. Jehovah is his name. There is no other God. And no matter what we do in a hostile land, no matter what we do in a land that is not our land, they were taken out of their land, in a land that is foreign, in a land that is now hostile to you, if you stand for this, you see, if you bow down, and, and how, who of us wouldn't? I mean, I used to think of this as a kid. Come on, guys. Drop a knee. But in your heart, you'll know that you serve one true God, right? But drop a knee because God needs you alive more than he needs you dead. Come on, most of you probably thought something similar to that at some point. I mean, you don't have to serve him. You can bow. Listen, you can bow, and you can just pray, Oh, Jehovah God. I love you, I serve you, I do not bow to this God here. I serve you and I serve you alone. You can do that, and God will understand. I used to think that. Guys, don't be stupid. Drop a knee because it means, who cares if you bow to that thing if you serve the one true God? Who cares? But they had made a pact that they would bow to nothing. It was, it was one true God. You see, it wasn't the fact of dropping a knee and bowing to that idol and making that your one true God. But you know, Jehovah God is your one true. You know that in your mind. You know that in your heart. God knows that. And he knows that you're doing this only because, well, he wants you alive more than he wants you dead. There's our justification. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that there's a lot of justification today when it comes to our faith Here's the reason we don't do this and we don't do that. Here's the reason we, we do this. God, you, you understand. You know my heart. God, you know my heart. My heart's good. And so we will drop a knee to something. Not literally, but we will give our affections. We will give our attention. We will give our passion to this. But God, you know I really, I really care for you, Lord. I really care for you. Drop down before the idol or you will die. And, uh, and they would not. They would not. The people around them, the leaders, looked at this and they were jealous and they brought the accusations to the king. I mean, this is one of the most obvious things. If you're in a group of people and then the music, the band starts playing and everybody takes a knee, everybody takes a knee and you're not, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It doesn't get much more obvious. I mean, you look around, nobody else is standing. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands and you're standing. Don't think for a moment you wouldn't be tempted to, to just tie up your shoe right now. You're not bowing, you're just tying up your shoe. Maybe you're touching your toes to see if you can still do it. Just so you're not standing above the others who have just dropped. Now, the king went into a rage. He commanded the soldiers, stoke the fire seven times Potter. And if you don't bow down, you're going in. Now make no mistake, everybody here today, make no mistake, these guys did not want to die that day. 
Sometimes we've romanticized this story. They were just martyrs for Jesus, you know. No, they didn't want to die. They weren't ludicrous. They weren't idiots. They weren't crazy. They didn't want to die any more than you and I don't want to die today. They don't want to die. These guys want to live. And yet these men had placed their faith in Jehovah God. They placed their faith in him. That he is God and he is God alone to be worshipped. He is the creator of the universe. He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. And he's the one who you will surrender your life to. And so they were committed in faith to God that they would be committed to these things. And so they told the king they would not bow down. And then they began to give witness. God is able to deliver us. There's a good witness. My God is great. My God is greater. He is mighty. He is high and lifted up. He is the great deliverer. My God is able to deliver us from even this fire. He is able to deliver us. And they continued to talk. They said, but even, even if he doesn't today, even if he doesn't deliver us, we will still not worship any other God but him alone. Well, you know the rest of the story. No doubt there was a great gathering of the multitudes. Everybody likes a good barbecue. The multitudes had gathered for this fire roast. The Hebrew men are brought out bound hand and foot. Have you ever seen pictures of prison chains? You know, the shuffle. And they were brought out hand and foot. And then when they got to near the mouth of the fire, because the fire was so hot, the Bible said the soldiers were slain by the heat of the battle, the heat of the fire. The soldiers were slain because it was so hot to even get the men into the fire. But at last, they threw them into the fire. They were cast into the oven. And the king became puzzled. He had an advantage point. He had the best spot so he could see this. He was puzzled. There was no sudden flash of roasting body. There was no snapping of the bursting. Apparently, I'm told that in hot fires, there's like an explosion. Not a big explosion, but there's a, I don't know, kind of gross. There was no smell of burning flesh. Somehow, the three Hebrews who were thrown into the fire, as he looked inside, they were still alive. And he's astonished by what he sees. Here they are, not just alive, not just like rolling around making it. These guys were walking around in the fire. They were walking among the coals of the fire as if they were rose petals. And the king is watching this and he is astounded. There is no way, no way. Their boots aren't even hot. And the king asked one of his associates, how many did we throw in? Three. He says, but I see four in there. Let's reread it. Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, again, remember this is pluralistic God society. They have many gods. They have, a part of an expression is the gods and the son of the gods of their day. We understand that the king, when he looked in that day, here's the amazing thing. The king, when he looked in that day, he, he from his own lips declares the fourth looks like the son of God. How can a heathen king recognize the son of God? 
Scholars have looked at this particular passage of Scripture, the Son of God, and they begin to describe that that expression is the expression of the Son of God. The scholars say this was a depiction of the pre-incarnate Christ who was there in their midst. The Son of the living God, pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of the living God, was there in the midst of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there was Jesus in the midst of their crisis, standing with them, recognized by a heathen king as there is a son of God. I want to suggest this. I want to suggest the reason a king heathen, a heathen king can recognize the son of God is because Christ's glory cannot be hidden. His glory cannot be hidden. This is a testimony that comes from heathen lips. Christ appeared in the Hebrews in their crisis. His glory is revealed. The testimony stands. Because of what they did that day, the witness went before the king, the top dog, and he declared before an entire kingdom, the son of God, I see him. And then follow the story after. And he calls the people, you better praise that son of God. You'd better praise that God of the three Hebrews. You'd better praise him. Hmm. This message is all about you and I today. You and I and every believer were to bring Christ into our crisis. We often don't. We often do something different. We think we are sometimes, but I'm going to suggest, let's look at this story a little closer. Because we are called to bring Christ into every one of our crises. The truth is, and here it is, the Lord does not commit himself to every person's crisis. I'm going to say that again. The Lord does not commit himself just because you're having a crisis that he's going to be there for you. I want to read to you John chapter 2, verse 23. John chapter 2, 23, let's read it. Now, while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Now, note verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Everybody, would you say that together with me? But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Break this down a little bit. Did you note back in verse 23? Many people saw the signs he was performing, and you can continue that. Many people believed in his name. Were they believers in his name? Yes. But, 24. Jesus did not entrust himself. In other words, Jesus didn't commit himself to them. You see it? For he knew what was in their heart. Jesus knew the deception of the heart. He knows that many are willing to acknowledge him as God, but are not willing to commit the keeping of their lives into his hands. And there is a difference. They acknowledge him as God. If you were to say, are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. Are you a follower of Jesus? I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you go to church once a month? I go to church once a month. But he knows the heart. He knows the heart. And in the heart, he sees in the heart that they are not fully committing their lives to him. And he is not committed to them. So when we ask the question, where are you? Well, recognize there's something comes from the story of Daniel. I want to suggest these men, these three men, made three noticeable commitments. 
I think we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here they are, three commitments. How do you get Christ into the middle of your crisis? Here it is. Number one. We find it in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Number one, they committed themselves to a pure and undefiled lifestyle in the midst of a wicked society. You can't get around this one. I've even wanted to get around this one. You know, like, how pure is pure? <laughs> like, nobody's perfect. God, you don't expect me to be perfect. Because I can't be. I fail. I fail all the time. So how pure is pure? God, we're all impure. And so, like, we, why even bring this up to the, on the, at the table discussion here? Because I can't do it. They committed themselves to a pure and undefiled lifestyle in the midst of a wicked society. The word defile, the word defile, says here, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. The word defile means, it suggests here, freeing through sticking to your standards. In other words, Daniel was saying, any compromise of my standards will rob me of my freedom. Now, we often think that if we compromise, we get the freedom. We think somehow God is harsh, and if we do this, he's taken away my freedoms. So one of the reasons I've jumped into the series that I'm into right now, the Ten Commandments, because we think they're restrictive. And so, you listen to them, they're, they're the flip. They grant freedom. They grant freedom. Any compromise of my standards will rob me of my freedom. So Daniel had said, I resolve not to defile myself. So Daniel committed to eating a different diet. For many days. Now, why this type of fast? The Hebrew guys were not vegetarians. It wasn't about being vegetarian. You see, when they came to Babylon, Babylon was a nation that there was a lot of filth. There was a lot of pagan shrines. There was altars. There were altars in every corner. Revelry, drunkenness. People did what they felt was right in their own eyes. It was filled with leisure, entertainment, and self-indulgence. In some ways, it's reflective of a culture of the 21st century. That was the culture they went into. They were exiled into that. They had no choice. It was Babylon. That was the culture. They went into that culture. And so they stood out that they would refuse to not compromise. So there would continue to be a godly voice in this wicked land. Listen here really carefully. When you compromise, you lose your voice. You hear me? I don't like it any more than you do. But when I compromise, I lose my position to be a voice for my Lord. I lose my witness. I lose my testimony. I lose representing him. Because now I'm no longer representing him. I'm representing something else. When I choose to compromise and just be among everything else, and it's not them versus you know us, it's when I choose to compromise, when I choose to not walk according to God's ways, if he has set me free, what does that look like? So when I walk back into the things that I said I've been set free from, I lose my voice, and they refuse to lose their voice in a land of wickedness. That's what they were saying. I, I will not be defiled. I will not give up that freedom to speak for my Lord. And so they chose to make these decisions and to stand fast in a land that was filled with compromise. Beloved, this morning, I invite you, take a stand. Take a stand and don't compromise. 
You know, I was praying early this morning when we were worshiping, and I was saying, God, what, what is it you're, you're stirring my heart? And here's what it was. God, I believe your voice this morning, your Holy Spirit, will simply nudge something we're already struggling with. That's what I feel. It's not going to be any new information necessarily. It's going to be a little kind of the Holy Spirit going, I've been talking to you about this, sir. I've been talking to you about this, ma'am. But you've maybe not been listening. And so I just need, there's a voice going to come out this morning on August the 8th. It's, all it is is reminding you, that's me that's been nudging you. That's me, the Holy Spirit. I've been nudging you on this thing. Listen to it. Listen, we are called to live separately. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. <laughs> we are in this world, and God has put us in this world for the world. But I can't do any good to this world if I lose my voice. I can't do any good to this world if I compromise everything God has called into my life. I am no good to this world because the only hope this world has is Him. And if I lose my voice, they can't see Him anymore. Amen? Do you see that? And so the situation of this whole story is a situation I will not defile myself. It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's not about the he's and hers and they do this and they don't do that and oh, you're perfect and everything. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do. If I compromise, if I blend in with the society of self-indulgence, then I'm really no different. It doesn't matter if I acknowledge God. I'm no different because there's no longer a voice that speaks for him. You see, if they bowed with everybody else, then why ever would this moment when they would stand before Nebuchadnezzar, thrown into the fire, and then all glory across the whole Babylonian kingdom saying, there is a son of God, it would never have happened had they defiled themselves and dropped a knee and said, oh, but God, you understand. But God, you understand. Uh, I want to suggest these men didn't start purity publicly. They practiced their purity privately. It started in their home. It started in their private lives. There's a bold commitment in their private lives to walk in holiness. And thus, might I suggest, when you are in a time of crisis, and I'm going to, you know, many times in our times of crisis, there's many who cry out to, Lord, where are you when I need you? Where were you when this happened? Where were you when this person got sick? Where were you when I lost my job? God, where were you when I need you? And might I suggest there's another voice, the prompting of his spirit saying, where are you when I need your voice? Because you've lost your voice. God is saying, I need voices in these sinful times. I need vessels that represent me, who can speak on my behalf. Tell me, are you committed to my purposes? We say, God, where are you? But God is saying, where were you when I needed your voice? Where were you? You know, I had I mentioned about the Ten Commandments. I've discovered this. Of the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, many say, well, that's Old Testament. Of all the Ten Commandments, they've all been moved into the New Testament. All the Ten Commandments are still intact, except one. Actually, there's one that has been, that's changed. And I'm not going to tell you which one that is. You have to go to the auroracornerstone.ca and look up tender commandment number four. There's one that didn't get translated straight across. There was a change in the New Testament. It's still that the principle is in place. But the Ten Commandments have been moved over, moved over to today. They're still in place. Number one, they committed themselves to a pure, undefiled lifestyle in the midst of a wicked society. Number two, 
They were committed to become seekers after God, men who pray. Chapter 9, verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in a sackcloth and ashes. Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You see, these two verses are proof. These men were praying men. Not just before a meal, not just in church, not just where others hear you. These were praying men. Here's what I'm going to suggest. It is impossible to live holy lives without spending much time with God, seeking Him for power and authority to lead such a holy life. And by the way, do you know where Daniel's prayers led him? Led him straight to the lion's den. Straight to the lion's den. In his 80s, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Prayer. The call to pray. You know, I discover we talk a lot more about prayer than when we pray. When prayer meetings are called, no one shows up. I discovered that frequently you avoid prayer. We will do almost anything but not pray. Oh, we can pray a few boxes. We can check through. And I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm generalizing. This is, I'm speaking for myself in here. There's a tendency. Other things are demanding of us, and prayer can seem so difficult. You know, I discovered when I was beginning to put the Ten Commandments together, commandment number three... Commandment number three, the day of rest. Um, I discover that if we don't give God rest, if we don't set a day aside, if we don't commit ourselves to that place where, uh, or sorry, commandment number four, if we don't give ourselves to that, he is, we, we can't fulfill the other commandments in front of us. So no idol, no image, his name, revering his name. We can't commit to those if we don't commit ourselves to rest. And to rest doesn't mean you sleep all day long. <laughs> How many would say amen to that, pastor? And it doesn't mean that you do nothing. And, and it's about putting some spiritual things back in place in our lives. And I, I believe that's every day Jesus would say, hey, can you watch with me for an hour? But it's also committing our lives, putting the things back in place. Because we can't fulfill the others if, if, if life becomes busy with time and energy and activities. And they may be good, but they, we have begun to lose. And so what happens is, is oftentimes when it comes to the call, when we gather together in a meeting, gather together and encourage somebody, we're an opportunity for your spiritual gift to be exercised, but something else quickly bumps it because our heart's not there. And it's required in that place of prayer. You know, back beginning in January, I did a series, and I, part of it was talking of ACTS, A-C-T-S, in prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So many times prayer is reduced to praying for the needs. But the needs are a small part of the prayer. There's so much more to praying. I also back around that time talked about the weapons of prayer, how to pray God's word, how to bring his name. You know there are over a hundred names describing Jesus. And each name describes something of his character. You begin to go through the names and begin to speak that into your life. You become enraptured in his glory. Beginning to go around circuit about what the power of his blood has provided. We talked the last couple of weeks about recovering our birthright. But that is the power of the recovery is through his blood. And in that place of prayer, God call us back to the place of prayer. I believe he is. 
The place where, and these men, what separated them? How was Christ committed to them? They were undefiled. They committed themselves. Secondly, they were committed to prayer. Because you get disconnected from the heart of God and his purposes and ways when we don't pray. And so it's just, God, commit that to you. Lord, I just, and not just an act of, of I'm going to give you five minutes. I'm, God, teach me to pray. Teach me to grow in the place of prayer so that I can pray. And I can worship you. And prayer is all about the worship. It's all about in his presence. Lori and I, we frequently take a day a week and we come for a small period of time here to the church and just pray. And sometimes it's loud. And sometimes it's very quiet. Oh, but to be in your presence. Surrounded by your glory. Teach me, Lord, to pray. Teach me, Lord. And you see the picture throughout here. You can't but see these people were people of prayer. And you read through the prayer is so important. It's so important because prayer is our barometer of our devotion to God. So how's, how, what's your temperature? What's your temperature? They committed themselves to a pure, undefiled lifestyle in the midst of a wicked society. Number two, they committed to become seekers after God, men who pray. And number three, they made a commitment to wholly trust God, live or die. Commitment to wholly trust God, live or die. Let's pick it up, chapter 3, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Verse 15. Now when you hear the sound of a horn, the flute, the lither, the seer, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. I bet it's good. His image, right? But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Well, he actually testified to what God that was. Now, these men, we agreed earlier, they're facing a pretty enormous crisis right here. If God did not come and save them, they were dead. And they responded to this hopeless situation when they said, God is able to deliver us. They were men of faith. They believed in him because they walked with him. They knew him. They experienced him in their lives. And they knew he was able. They knew the stories. They were well-versed in the stories before they ever got to Babylon. They knew the stories of their God. God is able. He is able. He's done it before. He can do it again. Praise God. He's done it before. He can do it again. But, but even if he doesn't perform this miracle today, we still won't quit loving him as passionately as I do right now. Whether in life or in death, I will worship him, him alone. We pick it up in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, I want you to note this. They called him King Nebuchadnezzar. He's about to kill him. Some of us probably has other names, other names going through our head, what we would like to call him. They called him King Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us. He will. Uh, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Note the respect. Majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. It's no disrespect to your position. They didn't disrespect his position. His authority. But we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Beloved, this morning, this kind of faith, I believe, causes the angels in heaven to rejoice. They rejoice when they hear this. 
It's the kind of faith that says, Lord, I am fully convinced. I am fully persuaded that you are able to deliver me. If you just speak the word, it's over. If you just look my way, your miracles will prevail. But if not, I'm not going to run. I will not remain. I will not, I will not turn and be unfaithful to you. But I will remain faithful and true. God, here it is. Your ways are higher than my ways. Lord, my life is in your hands. Don't you like that? Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. My life is fully committed. This is what brings Christ into your crisis. Full confidence in him. Have you ever wondered the end of the story? Have you ever wondered what these Hebrew men said when Jesus showed up in the furnace that day? As a kid, I, and I still have a very vivid imagination, I wonder what they talked about. I, I think they talked. I wonder what they talked about in that fire when the pre-incarnate Lord, the Son of God, showed up. You ever wonder what they talked about? And of course, we don't know. It's one of the questions I'm going to ask. I got a bunch of them when I get to heaven. I want to talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I want to talk about what did you talk about in that fire? I think some of us might have thought, you know, they're saying, oh, thank you. Wow, that was close. Woo. Did you see those guys get, they got, they got smoked. <laughs> Literally, they got smoked when they opened up the furnace. You see that? Woo. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. That was really close. Thank you. I didn't, want, I didn't really want to die today. I really didn't want to suffer. Thank you for giving us a few more years. We really appreciate a few more years. I honestly don't think that's what they said. According to what I know of these guys, I think it would have been more like this. After they talked for a few minutes in that fire, they would say, Lord, before you go, would you mind taking us with you? There is no glory to be compared to the glory we just had these last few minutes here in the fire. Of all the things we've seen and all the things we've experienced, this has been the most precious. Not because our lives are saved, but because I beheld your glory. And didn't Moses do the same thing? When anybody comes that close to his glory, they don't want to go back. They don't want it to be the old, same old. Whatever this world offers, it's nothing compared to being in his glory. Lord, would you take us with you like... Can we go where you're going? Before you go, before you go, can we go? I don't know. I believe that's probably what they were saying. They weren't simply saying, whew, that was a close one. Thank you. Thank you for giving us more years. I think they were so translated by his glory, they simply wanted to go with him. Not to escape, but so they would never have to leave it. What a picture. When Christ comes into your crisis, there translates our hearts. Into this world no longer holds roots in my spirit. But Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to be with you. Everything pales in comparison. If you tell us to stay, I'll stay. If you tell us to continue, I will continue. But oh Lord, make it clear. I, I, want, I want to make it clear. I want to be in your presence though. And they would continue to be in his presence, but not in heaven. Wow. Jesus knows this kind of heart, and to these, Jesus commits himself. Three things. Are you committed to a pure, undefiled lifestyle in the midst of a wicked society? Are you committed to prayer, a lifestyle of prayer? 
And are you committed to wholly trusting God, whether you live or die? Then commit all things, all things this day. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.